Please, would you keep that passage open from Matthew, end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10, which we're going to be looking at this morning. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning now as we look at your word, which is your word to us, that you will open our minds and you will open our hearts and you will open our wills to what you're saying to us today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you look out over Willoughby, when you see Willoughby and this community in this area, the area where you live, what do you see? I, I don't mean what do you see physically, entirely, but how do you see our community? Let me put it another way. If we are to look at our community through the lens of the gospel, or to put it more sharply, if we are to see our community through the eyes of Jesus, what should we see? I want to suggest that we should see two things. Number one, great need. And number two, a limited capacity to deal with that need. Great need and limited capacity. See, Willoughby is full, as our, our communities around here, is full of people who, even though they don't know it, don't know where they're going. They don't know why they do life the way they do, even at times when they think they know why they do the way life they do. That's the way they do it. People who are striving for things that ultimately will not last. People who are searching for peace and people who are searching for healing of relationships and bodies and minds. People who... Stay awake at night because they're worried about their finances or their job or their children or their marriages or their friends or their family or their health. People who, even though they don't know it most of the time, actually need Jesus Christ because they are lost without him. We live in the midst of one of the most affluent communities in the world that seems to have so much. But when we see it through the, the eyes of Jesus, we should see a community that is in great need. Do you notice in chapter 9 that there's something of that that Jesus sees about his own community? He looks on his people and he is moved deeply with compassion. The church of Jesus Christ, that's us. Seeing the world, seeing our community through the eyes of Jesus should likewise share that compassion because we recognize the enormous need of the people around us. And yet at the same time, it seems we have so limited traction amongst people. We, as a church, 
We have prayed for our community. Not enough, maybe. Certainly. But we've prayed for our community. We invite people. And, and they come in some numbers to some of the things that we do. And yet the number of people who as a result of that turn to Christ is so pitifully small. The number of people that I come across in the community, and I'm sure it's the same for you, who are living lives sometimes under the surface of quiet desperation, but have no desire for Christ. Some are just too busy. They're too preoccupied with chasing after their life and trying to make something of it. Some of them are indifferent. They can't see why Jesus should be of any relevance to them at all. Some are skeptical. Some are downright hostile. Great need, and yet a limited capacity it would seem for us to be able to reach people and address those needs with the claims of Jesus Christ on their lives. And for some of us, that's a deeply personal issue, isn't it? This isn't just theoretical. For some of you, it's about husbands or wives or children or friends. People in your community who are your neighbors People who matter to you. Some of you have been praying for people for years and it seems that they are no nearer Christ today than when you first began. Great need and a seeming lack of traction to be able to reach people for Christ. I want us this morning to have a look at this passage that Sandra read to us from Matthew chapter 9 and then into chapter 10 because I want you to see some really important parallels between the experience of Jesus and his disciples way back in the first century and our own situation here. And there are some real encouragements and some real the really important principles for us to grasp. And as we continue this in a couple of weeks' time, you'll see that there are some great challenges for us as well. Notice in this passage, page 974, if you've lost it in the Church Bible, end of chapter 9, beginning of chapter 10, notice those two things are evident here. Great need. Jesus is moved with compassion. He looks on the people and he sees here amongst his nation in verse 36, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And at the same time, limited capacity to do anything about it. Let's have a look at this. Because there are lessons, as I say, for us to learn here. First of all, there's a great need and it's primarily a leadership issue. They are like sheep without a shepherd. This, if you like, has been Israel's experience all through its history. Critical to Israel's colossal failure 
All through its history, it has been failed leadership. Leaders who've led them down the wrong path, leaders who have ignored them, leaders who've been more concerned about themselves than about the people of God, are more concerned about themselves and their own status than they have been about God's people. And so he says, you see, Matthew tells us that Jesus sees them as like sheep without a shepherd, a deep-rooted, long-standing, widespread, intractable problem that has characterized Israel's history, and Jesus sees it amongst the people of his own day. But do you notice limited capacity as well? Verse 37, the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. If there's ever going to be a turnaround amongst Israel's Israel, it needs people who will go out and exercise godly leadership. And the history of Israel is that there have never been enough of them. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Great need, limited capacity. Now let's have a look at what Jesus does because there are lessons here for us. Notice the first thing that he does is he calls his disciples to pray. Well, of course, prayer. What do you do? How are we to respond as the church of Jesus Christ to the needs around us so that that we can have an impact for Jesus? What do we do? We pray, don't we? Well, of course we do. It's obvious, isn't it? Although we're not always very good at doing it. Prayer. Prayer is what changes things. Prayer is the thing that we must do. Prayer, some have said, is the work. I don't think that's quite true, but it's certainly critically important. But I want you to notice the second thing he does. In chapter 10 and verse 1, he calls together his 12 disciples and he sends them out. Now, do you get that? The harvest is great, the workers are few. Pray that the Lord of the harvest, that is God, will send workers out into the field. And in chapter 10, he calls his disciples and sends them out. Some of you, I think, perhaps have this image of the 12 followers, or at least the 11 followers of Jesus. We'll come to the number 12 in a moment. Uh, Through the stained glass windows... St. Andrews, St. Peter, these amazing people. Matthew doesn't want us to see them like that. In verse 2, he tells us who they are. He gives them names, and they are names that have appeared earlier on in Matthew's gospel, and we know who they are. They didn't go to the best schools. They didn't belong to the big families and the prestigious families. They didn't, by and large, have any kind of status in the community. And it's these people that Jesus sends out to be the workers in the harvest field, to take leadership responsibility. We've got fishermen, we've got a tax collector, even more dodgy than than today. 
We've got Simon, who's a zealot, which probably means that he was more religiously inclined than is good for any human being. You know, he would have been the kind of person who's a real joy to be about. You just want to have some fun. And he says, we need to pray. You know, the kind of person, can, can we just go tempting bowling, surfing? I think today's a day for fasting. You know, that kind of person. And then finally, a man with serious character flaws, Judas, who will betray Jesus. What's going on? There is something here of an echo of Israel's past that ought to give us pause. Those of you who are familiar with the story will know how under Moses' leadership, God brings out the people of Israel from slavery. He rescues them from Egypt and sets them free. And his intention is that they should enter the land of promise where they are not only freed from their slavery and freed from Egypt, but they have their own country. They can be their own nation. They are free to be the people God has called them to be. That's God's intention. And in Numbers chapter 1, which as I said at 8 o'clock this morning is your second favorite book in the Bible, isn't it? And Leviticus is the most, is your number one favorite. That, that's, that's the one you always go to, isn't it? Uh, you're failing that, Numbers. Or maybe Song of Solomon. Anyway. In Numbers chapter 1, God says to Moses, We're about to, the people are about to go into the promised land, so I want you to choose 12 people, one from each tribe who will exercise leadership, organize the people so they are prepared to go into the land. Isn't that interesting? There's a new era about to dawn, rescued from Egypt, about to enter the promised land, to start a new chapter, 12 people to organize the people to get them ready to go into the promised land. What's going on here? At the time of Jesus, here in Matthew chapter 10, well, it's a new era, isn't it? Even more significant than the people standing on the verge of going into the promised land. This is the era of the kingdom of God breaking in through Jesus Christ, and he chooses 12 people to go to the people of Israel to prepare them for what's to come. There is a hint here, more than a hint, that something of enormous significance is taking place here. Even as Jesus sends out these 12 unprepossessing people. So, this is what we're going to look at. Now, there are certain things that are unique to this particular incident. Verse 5, Jesus tells the 12, don't go to the Gentiles. So don't go to Willoughby. Okay? That was then. This is now. So there are things that are specific to then, but it's quite clear from the position in Matthew's gospel, from the whole tenor of Matthew's gospel, that this is intended for us and there are lessons that we are meant to learn for our mission to make followers of Jesus Christ. Let's have a look at what they are. Number one, 
As the church of Jesus Christ, we go with the authority of Jesus. We go with the authority of Jesus. As did the twelve. He called the twelve disciples and gave to them authority. We have been authorized by the one who has all authority to go and act on his behalf. So if you ever feel lacking in confidence, remember that God has authorized you and us to go. There is, as you know, an ongoing debate at the moment, isn't there? It's been going on for some years about whether or not Christianity and Christians have any place in the public square. Do we have any right to be there? There are all kinds of complexities about that argument and that discussion. After all, we live in a pluralistic society. There are different views. This is not a Christian country. It's not the kingdom of God. And so do we have, as Christians, any right to be in the public square? Important question. Well, we are certainly to treat people with respect, and as we'll see, if they won't listen to us, and they ask us not to speak, then we are to respect that. The Bible is very clear that we are to respect earthly powers, and especially governments, and conform to them as far as we were able. However, however, the message that we bring is the public square belongs already to Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. There is not one square inch of this planet over which Jesus has not been given and does not claim absolute authority. The end of Matthew's gospel, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go. The public square isn't ours to claim. We have no right to take it by force or manipulation. Jesus will do that one day when he returns. But we are to declare to our community the public square belongs to Jesus. And we have been authorized to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. We go with the authority of Jesus. Don't be intimidated. Number two, we go in the place of Jesus. Notice in verse one, he gave his disciples authority to drive out impure spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. In verse seven, they are to declare the kingdom of heaven, that it's come near. They are to heal the sick, raise the dead, and those who have cleansed, those who have leprosy. In other words, they are authorized to say and to do everything Jesus is doing. They are to act in the place of Jesus. They are, in effect, to be the presence of Jesus, doing what Jesus has been doing and saying to all the people to whom they go. They are Jesus to the people. There's a parallel here for us, too. We go to be the presence of Jesus in our community. 
I notice there are two things that the disciples are commissioned to do. One is to speak and the other one is to act. And they both go together. They announce the kingdom. The reign of Jesus is beginning. It's broken in. And then they demonstrate the kingdom. They heal the sick. They raise the dead. They cleanse lepers. Those two principles apply to us. And they must go together. We announce the kingdom and we bring the kingdom to people. We demonstrate it. The kingdom has dawned. Jesus is king and that requires a response. And we are to bring the kingdom to people. Some of you may be asking, what does that look like? Because I haven't raised too many dead people recently. In fact, I haven't even healed too many people recently, and we haven't seen too many healings here in our church. What does that mean? It means that we are to demonstrate the kingdom at whatever level. We are to bring something of the kingdom wherever we are. Let me give you a simple illustration. It's very basic. Some of you work for money as opposed to for love. You may be part of a team. And some of you have had the experience of having a team member who is a complete pain in the neck. They're cantankerous. They're morose, they don't work diligently, whatever it is. And over a, a short period of time, you have seen that team begin to suffer because of the influence of that person. We are meant to bring the influence of the kingdom wherever we go. That is, we are to reflect in how we are what the values of the kingdom are. But there's something else. You notice the things that Jesus calls them to do. It's to be involved in those areas of people's lives where they are most broken. Where there's physical disease, where there's mental illness, where there are spiritual issues, where there is death. The place Places where people are most broken are the places where, above all, the followers of Jesus are to demonstrate the kingdom. We're to do that. Above all, we need to be in the places where people are broken. And we need to do whatever the Lord allows us to do, whatever He does through us, to bring something of the healing and the restoration that is found in Christ. Will that mean everybody's going to get healed? No. The mortality rate, as I keep saying, is 100%. And that includes for Christians as well. And the church has never had a very strong track record since the apostles of raising dead people. God may choose to use us to bring healing that's physical or mental but we are to bring something of the kingdom above all where people are most broken. We are to be Jesus to people. 
So number one, we go with the authority of Jesus. Number two, we go in the place of Jesus. Number three, we go with the resources that Jesus provides. So he says at the end of verse 8, Freely you've received, freely give. And then he goes on to say, don't take any gold or silver or copper in your belt. And goes on to say, the worker is worthy of his keep. What's all that about? It's very simple. It means that we have enough. There is a great temptation that we think we can only do things effectively if we can do it the way the world does it. The way the world does power and success. The resources that the world says are necessary in order to achieve great things. And so we can go after worldly power, worldly success, as a way of achieving what we want to do in the gospel. We don't need what the world has. The world needs what we have to offer. We have enough. Now, this isn't about recklessness, you will notice. I have come across some people sometimes who have been reckless and tried to convince me that they are being spiritual. I'm going to go and do such and such. I haven't made any preparations. I've made no financial provision. But I'm just going because I sense a call from the Lord and I'm going to get out and do it. And they go off and everybody feels suitably spiritually impressed impotent and, and, and in comparison. Nonsense. Do you notice Jesus expects the disciples to need somewhere to stay? <laughs> Did you notice that? Verse 11, wherever you are shown a village, wherever you enter, search for some worthy person, stay there until the house, until you leave. It's not about recklessness, but it is about recognizing that we can trust God's provision for us to do what he's called us to be. And we've received it freely. We don't do it for our own personal gain. We've received freely. Freely give. Go with the authority of Jesus. We go in the place of Jesus to represent him. We go with the resources of Jesus. And number four, we are to go with the seriousness of Jesus. The gospel is good news. It's about joy. It's about how God brings forgiveness. It's about how he restores true life to men and women and young people. But it is profoundly serious and we are emissaries of this verse 12 as you enter the home give it your greeting if the home is deserving let your peace rest on it in other words where you're welcomed where the message that you bring is responded to positively you bring blessing to them we proclaim blessing on people, on people's lives when we declare the gospel to them and they respond. We're saying you have God's blessing on your life. You have God's peace on your life. A new era has dawned and you've entered into that. 
The gospel is good news. But it is also profoundly bad news where it's rejected. Verse 12, as you enter the home to those who reject, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town so we're to respect people. Shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that time. There is an incredible seriousness about the gospel. It is seriously good news. But the implications of rejecting Jesus are seriously bad news. And whenever we proclaim the gospel and demonstrate it, we proclaim two things, good news and bad news, blessing and judgment. And therefore, we need to go with seriousness. The people of Willoughby need to know about Jesus Christ. They need to know about the gospel. It's not just we're offering them the icing on the cake of their lives. We're offering them the most important thing that they need. So, we go with the authority of Jesus, so let's go with confidence. We go in the place of Jesus. We need to be Jesus to the people amongst whom we mix. We go in the power of Jesus. We have enough. And we go with the seriousness of Jesus. Before we finish... I want to go back to where this begins. Do you notice where it begins? Jesus looks at the people of his day and has compassion. The motivation for Jesus is compassion. And that's a reflection of the motivation of God himself. The work of salvation comes out of God's love for us. We need to begin in exactly the same place. Compassion for our friends, for our community, for our neighbors. And if I know my own heart, I have to say I don't care enough. And maybe you sense something similar. It is so easy to be complacent, not really to care about lostness of people around us. How do we get more of that compassion of Jesus? Let me tell you how you don't do it. <laughs> we don't do it by saying, Lord, give me more compassion. We get more compassion. Our hearts are more in tune with Jesus and reflecting his compassion when he has more of our hearts. The more Jesus has of you, the more you will share his heart. We need more of the compassion of Jesus. We need to pray, the vital importance of prayer. And then finally, we need to go. Go. You notice each of those, go with the authority of Jesus 
and so on. Go, go. So many of our images of church are static, aren't they? And, and understandably, we meet in buildings. And I'm so pleased that this building is static. I, I worry about places in the world where buildings move. Some of you have experienced that. It's not a good thing. We are the presence of God in a community. It's a static image, but there is also that dynamic sense. We are a church that's going. We have been sent by Jesus into the world. We go. We go. We must always be going. We must always be a people on the move into our community, into our workplaces, and it is primarily corporate. It's not just the individual Christian going out to witness for Jesus, important as that is. It is doing it together as the people of God, which, by the way, is why you can't really be a functioning Christian and not be actively involved in a local church. Because we are to do this together. What we do needs to come out of compassion. We need to share something of the heart of Jesus. And that means he needs to have our hearts. We need to pray. Tim's already mentioned about praying for Alpha. We need to be praying seriously about our community and our friends and God's work amongst us. And then we need to go. Let's pray. Father, your word shows us how you took these 12 people and ordinary people and you used them. And as a result of what you've done through the Lord Jesus and then through the people that he called the world is a different place. There is now a message of hope. There are places of hope. Local churches in their thousands and thousands across the world that are living demonstrations of the presence of the kingdom and bringing hope and healing and bringing life to the people around them. Father, may we be more and more those kinds of people, and that kind of church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.